welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Needham, and I'm streaming live from the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy Studio on our midweek podcast. And it's not midweek yet, but we have some surprises for you later this week. So that's why we're doing a podcast early this week. And I have the privilege of, of having Dr. Laura Pinavaria on our show today. She's from Homestead Family Medical in Bend, Oregon, and she is a direct primary care practice and for those of you that follow our uh, podcasts and our videos, uh, you guys are very familiar with direct primary care. If you aren't, um, please look at our YouTube site, the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy YouTube site, and just type in direct primary care. You will find a whole bunch of videos of how doctors are changing the system and going into direct primary care and helping patients, saving money, and giving better quality care. So check out direct primary care. Um, Dr. Penavara, welcome to our show. Thank you, Sean. It's a pleasure to be on. Um, yeah, so I'm here to talk a, a little bit about uh, suicide prevention today. It's It seems like the thing that uh, people don't really want to talk about, and, and right. doctors often kind of want to duck it in, in clinical practice. You know, when the patient throws out that I'm suicidal th- comment, you know, it's often with you know, when the doctor already has their hand on the doorknob and it feels often like a, a hot potato, really, I don't know what to do with this. My patient's suicidal. What do I do? You know, so, um, yeah, I, I, uh, I kind of cracked that nut a few years ago and, uh, did some research on what do you do with the suicidal prevention, the suicidal patient in, in, uh, primary care and how do you handle that? So, um, uh, just going back a little bit, I just wanted to kind of s- tell folks like how I got interested in. Yeah, that's what yeah. I was going to ask you. There's usually always a story <laughs> about why you get interested in something like this, right? It is. It's true. It's true. So, um, so I'm a family doctor, and I've been in practice more than 20 years. And um, uh, about I'm going to say 10 years ago or so, uh, here in Bend, we had. Um, a, a fairly high profile, highly publicized suicide. And it was kind of not handled the the right way by the press, not, not through any fault of their own, honestly, it was kind of a lot of miscommunications and whatnot. And sometimes when, well, often when the press doesn't report on a suicide in, in the best way, there's some contagion in the community. And that is what happened. And and I was working in a, um, I was not a direct primary care doctor at that time. I was working in a small practice and, or a mid-sized practice. And I was the director of, of the, of that clinic. And, and, uh, people were coming out of the woodwork with suicidal ideation after that. Uh, you know, it was kind of, people were there for, to talk about their hair and they, you know, they were like, oh, and I've been thinking about suicide. Wow. And it, we were all like, what? I mean, the nurses, everybody that was calling in, it was significant contagion in our community. And, and um, I was just like at a loss. I, and, and, you know, the other providers, the doctors were coming to me and saying, like, what do we do with this? And I honestly didn't know. Because it's kind of a gap in our in our training, really, you know, we don't really learn how to really sit with the suicidal patient and really, um, you know, help them in a way that's actually useful for them. Um, and so, I, I kind of went out into the community and started seeking out kind of uh, experts and I and I sought out information on like wh- what how do you address suicidality in primary care and it, and it turned out there wasn't a whole lot out there and so I formed a, a work group 
in in the local community just of some uh, provide interested providers from across all the practices, and and we kind of all worked together and worked out um, a whole workflow so that there would be like no wrong door in the practice. Any anybody, if anybody said. I'm suicidal to any person in our practice or said anything like that, not just the words I'm suicidal, but, you know, just anything indicating that they were having suicidal ideation, that that person would know what to do with it, whether they're the MA or the nurse or the front desk receptionist, the phlebotomist, whoever, you know, they would all know what to do with it. So um, worked that out and, um, and then ended up doing some research on, uh, how to talk to a suicidal gun owner. And that is actually what my published research is about. And that's what the really kind of mostly the topic of my, um, my uh, uh, presentations. When I do presentations, it's, it's usually kind of, a, because that is the big one, uh, honestly. Most uh, completed suicides are, are uh, gun suicides. So, you know, it, it's, yeah, it's the big one. So, so. Uh, so that's kind of how I got into it. And so it is, you know, I think one of the reasons that, I don't know, that um, I mean, you kind of alluded to it already is the reasons that we're not educated on it as healthcare providers. Is I just think a lot of people just, we just don't know what to do with it. We just don't, because mm -hmm. I can tell you, I don't know what to mm -hmm. do. And it, and, you know, that's why I was very interested in, in your presentation today, yeah. because I want to, I want to be able to help others. And right. Yeah. I think all of us really have had a personal story of a friend or a family oh, yeah. member that has been in that situation. Yep. Or even worse, we have a friend or family member that it's completed you know, has, suicide, exactly. has died by suicide. Yes, right. absolutely. Yeah. And one of the things I really kind of wanted to maybe use this podcast to help bring out for other healthcare providers is just the language around suicidality and how it's changed. And um, you know, suicide used to be uh, uh, illegal, which is an interesting thing. I don't know how you prosecute that one, right. but um, so so that's how the whole the term committed suicide came about because they're committing a crime, and uh. and so you know it's it's and now we use the terminology more died by suicide because you know they they're um, you know they're you know we're not looking at it as a crime right. so much in this in this day and age, and so. Um, so that was that's just kind of one thing I wanted to bring out. But and then the uh, speaking of language, it's it's a uh, it's an interesting thing because um, when I one of the things that I talk to talk about in in my talks is kind of how to talk about to the patient about suicidality and how to ask how to ask that question. So um, so you know that you really a lot of people are like they're so afraid of the answer that they start with, well, you're not suicidal, are you? Or, oh, you're not having suicidal thoughts, are you? You know, because they really want the patient to say no. Please say no, because if you say oh, yes, oh. I really don't know what to do with the answer. Right. So, so really, the if if you really want to know the answer, and you only really want to know the answer if you know what to do with the answer. So that's the other piece, right? And we'll talk about that too. But if you really want to know the answer, you need to ask in such a way that the patient feels confident that you can handle the answer. You know, so you, so, you know, you really need to ask in, in, in a way that almost normalizes it for the, for the patient, you know? So I typically say something like, you know, when a patient is feeling like you're feeling right now, when they're at the bottom of this deep 
chasm. They often will have thoughts of hurting themselves or even killing themselves. And it's, and it's very, very common. Have you had any thoughts like that? You see how that's a little bit of a wow, different that is, question. Right. That is so powerful. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't think that normally we would address it like that. So it, it's mm-hmm. kind of, you ask more of a, would it be an open-ended question maybe? Right. Or, yeah. Well, well kind I, of a, an, an invitation to share their feelings about suicide with with you. But in order to get there, you have to feel comfortable with the answer. And when the patient says, yes, I've been having thoughts of suicide, you need to know what to do with uh, with that. And so, and, and I think that that's kind of where the rubber meets the road for a lot of doctors. And, um, you know, kind of the main thing to know is um, that First of all, that, that suicidal patient, if you're not a direct primary care doctor, you're, you're probably supposed to see 20 patients that day. So that, that patient is going gonna, is gonna to wreck your schedule for the day. So, okay. so just go ahead and accept that. Your schedule's wrecked. But this is an emergency, and it's the most important patient that you have today. It's, it's as if someone is having an MI right in front of you. That's what's happening when that suicidal patient tells you that. Because... If they're willing to tell you that they are likely willing to um, follow through with it. And if not, they are wanting you to stop them. And that is the interesting piece, too, is that most suicide, another little myth that doctors have is that asking someone if they're suicidal will plant the, the thought in their head and it'll make them want to die by suicide. It'll make them, oh, I hadn't thought of that. And what I like in that too is like, you know, I always say, you know, teenagers don't think about sex because we talk about birth control with them. They're already thinking about sex, you know? Right, so, right. Good um, analogy. Right. You know, so, so that you're not going to, you know, plant the thought in a person's head. Pa- people are actually very relieved that you ask. People that are suicidal, they're, they're typically like, I'm so glad you asked at like at at the, you know, when you, when you've kind of gotten to a safe place, Um, they're glad you asked. So, so be bold, ask about suicidality. I ask about it just now. I I pretty much ask everyone about it. I uncover suicidality every week. Wow. Just by asking the questions. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and, and so the thing, so I'm going to kind of go through a little bit about kind of what to do with the suicidal patient. Okay. And it, this isn't like a full course. There's a lot, a lot to learn. Um, I do have a, there is a CME available and I, Sean, I can get the link to you so that maybe you can make it available afterwards without. Go ahead. Or, can you, yeah, you sure can. Can you, okay. is a link available online? Yeah. Yes. I just don't know that where to send. I okay. have to look it up right now and it'd be a little. Okay. So yeah, we will. Very, yeah, we will have our editor um, put the link up uh, okay. a- afterwards uh, on Perfect. the show so we can provide it to Perfect. everybody. Yep. Okay, great. Um, yeah, so that that's kind of a it that that CME, it's for medical providers. And so um and it and it shows uh, there are four videos that we produced um, that show um, how to have a conversation with a suicidal gun owner. Um, and it it kind of really demonstrates and it's there's a little bit of repetitiveness to it, but it really kind of brings brings home in each of the videos repeat a little bit, but it really brings the message home really how to have that conversation. and it's it's very um, it, it it's a very powerful video. I initially, um, was trying to be the actor in the video and then realizing that 
acting is an actual profession. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you, decided not... <laughs> to play, you decided to keep playing doctor instead of actor. Yeah, I was like, you know what? <laughs> We're going to hire an actual actor. So, <laughs> so um, anyway, um, so I wanted to just kind of, uh, one thing I really want to point out to folks it, to about how to then manage this patient that's in front of you that's now suicidal and you've just uncovered this, um, is to really, um, the things that you're wanting to do uh, is two things, like look at the risk factors and protective factors. Those are two, two important things. Look at the risk factors and protective factors, and then you want to leverage the protective factors. So <clears throat> risk factors for completing suicide are <clears throat> prior suicide attempts, family member with completed suicide, um, a middle-aged male is more likely to complete suicide, access, easy access to lethal means, um, recent loss of, recent significant loss, like loss of a job, loss of uh loss of a, a, re, a significant relationship, that kind of things. Those are the, those are big risk factors. Um, there are a lot of other risk factors, but those are the big risk factors. And then protective factors are things like, um, uh, of having a faith that, uh, that, um, doesn't support suicide, having, um, a family that's supportive, having, uh, children in, in particular, having responsibilities, um, and, and kind of anything that the patient brings up. So, so when can I, can I, yes. can I have you clarify something? Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. So you're telling me that a risk factor is having a supportive family. Is that correct? No, that's a protective factor. A protective factor. Okay. Yes. I just want to clear that Those up. Those are okay. protective factors. Those, okay. So good, having good, good, good. a okay. faith that, did I say risk? I'm sorry. No, having no, you did, oh. you did not. I was okay. just, I was kind of a little bit confused. I just wanted to make okay. sure that our, our, our guests and our, our uh, podcast listeners and viewers probably caught on, but I didn't. So. Okay. All right. Good. So the, yeah, those are protective factors. Okay. Things that, 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 you know, and so, and then when you talk to the patient, you can, you can, um, if you don't know the patient well, um, if you know the patient well, like if you're a direct primary care doctor, you know what the <laughs> protective factors are because you know right. your patient. But if you don't know your patient well, when you're talking to them, you can ask them questions like, um, uh, so when you when you explore the suicidality with someone, you you need to ask them what their plan is. So if someone ask, says, yes, I have been thinking about suicide, um, what you want to ask is, is and, and when you think about suicide, what in particular are you thinking about doing? And then just be quiet and let them, because it's going to take them a minute to answer. And then when they answer, they'll tell you their plan. And then once they tell you your plan, and then you, then you should ask. And if that were not available to you, is there a backup plan? Because sometimes people have a backup plan. And then if they have a backup plan, you ask after that one. And if that were not available to you, is there another plan? And what's interesting about suicide is that people will, people are accepting, uh, personally accepting for their own suicide of certain methods, but not others. And and that's been illustrated time and again. There are a lot of studies done on suicide attempt survivors. And, you know, there, and, and there's a person, for example, let's say he, there's one, this is a real example. Someone went to a bridge that wanted to drop off, jump off the bridge, but 
from where he parked, he couldn't get to the point he wanted to jump off of because there was too much traffic and he didn't want to get hit by a car. So, so it doesn't seem to make sense, but right. I mean, that wouldn't make sense to somebody that's not suicidal. right? Right. But it's a very, very common theme. We see it again and again. And so if you can protect them from the, their methods of choice, you're protecting them. You know, so, so that's a kind of an important one, right? Uh, and so, um, once once they you've kind of uncovered that suicidality, then you, then you say, now when you think about doing that plan, what are the things that are stopping you from doing it? And that sounds like a loaded question. Like, why would you ask someone that? Like, what's stopping you? Go do it. You're not saying that. Right. You're saying you really are asking them what's stopping them because something is stopping them. Okay, and so and that is the thing you need to leverage. So. When, when they say, well, I could never do that to my kids. Oh, 100%. You can never do that to your kids. I mean, you know, listen, children. And then I had a patient, I had a patient, this is recent, to say, well, you know, I talked to my husband and, he, you know, no, well, the, her first uh, thing was, um, he'll understand when he grows up, you know, her, her, her child. And I said, uh, you know, that, no, that's not actually what happens to children whose parents die by suicide. They don't understand later it's a huge risk factor for him to now die by suicide. That's the legacy you'll be leaving. I'm just very blunt because that is the truth, you know? And then she came back with later another visit, her husband, she had talked to her husband. He's going to tell him a different story. If she ends up dying by suicide, I'm like, well, you know, he's an intelligent child and he's going to eventually figure it out, you know? So, so there are like, you know, there's things like that, that um, you can, you have that conversation, just be in that conversation. Uh, and and you want to leverage those protect, protective factors the best that you can. So, one thing I take out of this, the last few paragraphs of your of your um, presentation is that you know, I, excuse my ignorance on the subject, and that's why I, one of the things I love about our podcast is I get to interview people like yourself that are experts on subjects that I learn a lot about. So, I'm sure our listeners and um, viewers are are learning a lot also. Um, and one thing that I'm taking out of this is like, as an ignorant person on the subject, you know, just like you said about the, the 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 person with the bridge was worried about getting hit by a car, but he wasn't worried about jumping off a bridge. Right. My thought was, okay, well, if somebody's going to commit suicide, um, okay, and they their idea was a gun, which you're going to talk about a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Well, we lock the guns up. Well, great. And then they just find, you know drugs or a knife or whatever mm-hmm. to to kill themselves but from what you're telling me that's usually not the plan usually if you stop the first primary thing you will prevent suicide am, am i wrong at saying that that that's correct that's correct i mean you do the, you do have to uncover a backup plan you know so make sure that they're the backup plan you know because some people do have a backup plan backup plan is usually not very preferred though you know interestingly and so but the um, primary plan, you know, that suicide is largely an impulsive act. So largely, not all suicides are impulsive, but the vast majority of people, again, with these like suicide attempt survivors, you know, how long did you think about suicide before you, whatever it is, pulled the trigger or whatever it is? Five minutes. Five minutes. Really? Yes. And so... Um, people may have a plan in the back of their mind, you know, and then, and then when they, but to actually execute on that plan, it's only a matter of a few minutes. And so you need to, 
make the execution of that plan impossible. And so that's kind of where um, the rubber meets the road with you know, suicide prevention. So I, I personally use um, the Stanley Brown safety plan. It's a very, um, you can find it anywhere. Uh, it's uh, available online. And, and it really kind of, you walk through like how to keep someone safe. One, one thing that's really, really old school thinking is uh, patient contracting for safety. That used to be a thing where we would say, okay, well, you've told me you're suicidal. And now, you know, I need you to sign this right here, this contract saying you're not going to hurt yourself. It's a contract between you and me. Okay, come on, you've agreed now right? You're basically saying to the patient, the only thing that matters is my liability. Your life is actually less important to me than my liability. Here, sign here. You know, without helping them and telling them what to do or, you know, anything. Right. So it's you're just like, saying that's something that we shouldn't do. Please don't do that. Yeah, okay. please don't do and, that. It's insulting and, to patients. You know? And we'll it's put a link helpful. to Yes. The Stanley Brown. Yeah. Yeah. We'll put a link to Stanley Brown. What, what was it again? Mention Just it one like, more time. Uh, it's a, um, Stanley Brown, right? Stanley Brown is okay. the, yeah, that's the researchers that did it. <clears throat> and our editor will put that in the show notes for the edited, edited version. Okay, good. And and it's a um, safety plan. Sorry. It's a safety okay, plan. Okay, perfect. Right. Yep. So patient safety plan. So, um, so I go through a safety plan with the patient a full safety plan. And I'm not going to kind of go through how to do a safety plan with the patient. That's been very well documented by others. You can get that information anywhere. That's it. Stanley Brown. Is that Brown. what we're streaming, yep. Steph? Okay. That's awesome. Stanley Brown. So, yeah. And we'll perfect. also put a link to that. Awesome. Yeah, excellent. Great. Excellent. That's exactly what we're, I'm talking about. Perfect. But I will talk a little bit about how to talk to the suicidal gun owner about their guns. Please. So our research really was kind of about how to um, talk to uh, the suicidal gun owner. And it's really is a cultural conversation, interestingly. Um, so uh, there are people on, you know, people that really feel strongly on both sides of the gun debate. This is not about gun, the gun debate or, you know, right. whether or not it's right to have guns or anything like that. Um, it's really just about keeping people safe when they are uh, suicidal. Um, so things to know. Well, let me just say, here's, here, I'll just kind of encapsulate how we did our research and what, what it's about really quick. So it's, it's a, um, I can give you a link to the papers too, so that people can see those as well. Um, but uh so what we did was we, you know, I was uh, working in a rural clinic at the time and, and um, uh, we s set up a few um, uh, inform key informant. We did some key informant interviews and we did some, some study groups. We, we invited people to talk. We said how we, we asked first, it was interesting that because at first they, they made this flyer saying um, something about, we want to talk to you about your guns or some crazy thing. I don't know what they put on the flyer, but I just, I, I said, you know, we're not going to get people here, to, right. you know? And so I, so I um, said, let's talk, let's put on the flyer what we're really talking about, how to keep suicidal people safe with guns safe. And we had a lot of gun owners show up because, you know, it turns out gun owners are very interested in, in having other gun owners not kill themselves with their guns. You know, it's, it makes, it makes it, difficult for everyone you right. know and you know the 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 reality is that it's a it's a a, t a fairly tight-knit community that i think would 
and they're supportive of each other. And really, um, you know, when, what we found was if you knew, if you knew someone, one, someone, you know, that has gun and you knew they were suicidal, would you want to do something to keep them safe? And a hundred percent of people said yes. Right. And so, so then what we did was we kind of tested some messaging because what I had been doing over the f years was, was like refining my own message as I was speaking to people about suicidality and speaking to gun owners. And I would, and I, you know, stepped in it a, a number of times before I, you know, kind of got some better language down and really kind of understood how to have a, a, an honest, thoughtful, um, and, uh, very authentic conversation um, with someone that's a, a gun owner and, and is suicidal. And, and so, uh, you know, you, there are things, you, you know, you don't say, there are things you do say, but what we, what we found was we came up with three messaging, three messages. One was a kind of a more of a culturally informed message that was like, you know, um, uh, and one was the standard public health message, which is basically lock up your guns, use gun locks, you know, and and then the and then it was um, uh, a combination of the two. And we we tested all three messages um, for um, how to keep suicidal gun owners safe. And um, in, uh, what what do you think the finding was, Sean? What do you think? we came up with what do you think we found just well guess. i'm learning i'm getting surprised so much throughout this whole podcast um that i'll probably say the wrong answer but i mean my guess in a broad term would be to confiscate their guns is what i think <laughs> the common solution would be would be but i will tell you being a gun owner myself i just don't think that would go over very well right so yeah, I, so I no, don't know. The, I'm at a loss. The, yeah, the message that worked was the combination method message. So like it wasn't like lock up your guns. It wasn't, you know, but it also wasn't just, you know, they they kind of were like, let's we need to have a solution, you know. So that's kind of what we've we figured out. And then um uh so so um basically what the way that I kind of talk to a suicidal gun owner is, is just that I'll, I'll just, I just come out and I don't even, I talk to every suicidal patient. I ask them about their guns in the same way. And I don't necessarily know if they're a gun owner or not. I just say pretty much what I say is, so what are we going to do with your guns right now while you're having this crisis? What should we do with them to keep you safe? I ask them, what should we do? And then um, we come up with a plan together. We either find someone in their family that can hold them or, and, or, you know, you, you, you know, put, I've had people that do like, they put them in their gun safe and they change the combo and their spouse changes the combo. There's stuff like that. There's little things you can, there are um, some places where the, the law enforcement will hold them, you know, at the, and I always encourage the patient themselves to, to contact law enforcement. I don't ever, you know, contact law enforcement for that. But there, there are communities where law enforcement is very, very supportive and really wants to keep people safe. And it are, are, they'll hold your guns. They'll put them in a locker for you, you know, give them back to you. No questions asked. So, um, but you know, there are, there are a lot of things you can do, but that's kind of how I do it. And I, and I say, and if they say, um, well, my brother, can, well, I think my brother 
he probably would be willing to hold him for me. And then I'll say, okay, let's get him on the phone. I mean, wow. I, it, there's yeah. nothing about this. You know, we're going to call your brother right now. Right? You know, so. Well, and I got to say, I mean, you know, being a guy owner myself and having a brother, that alone, if I was in that situation, I mean, that alone is very powerful. A hundred percent, I mean, and then yes. it's just going to say, then I'm just going to say, wait a minute. Here's a doctor taking time to do this that cares about me that and then she's going to call somebody that really cares about me my brother i mean then all of a sudden i i can just imagine that you know it, a, yes. a calm the way comes, it unfolds yeah. is beautiful i will tell you and and even with not guns I, I did this with a patient whose plan was to go out into the woods as far as she could possibly walk take a bunch of pills lay down and hope that animals find her and 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 so you know, how do you take that away from someone? Right. You know? And so, um, but what we did was I said, well, who, who can we bring into this conversation to keep you safe? Who can we call today to talk about this? You know, and it was her sister and we called their sister and, and we're like, okay, let's get her down here. And her sister came down to the clinic and we're sitting in a room and, and I was like, like not even necessary after that. You know, really. Wow, but you started the conversation. I mean, that's just so powerful. And that's all it takes. It's as simple right. as that. But Look we've at how be... you can prevent uh, prevent suicide with something so simple. Right. But we've got to be aware as yes. healthcare providers. And yes. we've just got to be asking willing. the right questions. And right, willing. And I will tell you, myself, it's a very, very hard topic for me to discuss just because I haven't really been trained about it. So, right. you know, um, like you say, Early on in our pod, like you said earlier on in our podcast, you don't really want to ask the question because you don't want them to say yes because then you got to deal with it and you don't really right. know how. Right, right. What are you going to do? Right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's been. I've I've uh, I've had some very interesting um, <laughs> encounters with patients. All you know, and and in most cases, you know, we re I, we really can keep people safe without hospitalizing them. I had a patient I had to hospitalize twice recently. Um, for, for suicidal, we just couldn't, she just, she knew she wasn't going to be able to be safe and, and, you know, she wanted to be safe, but she couldn't, it's, it's just a hard spot for people to be at. People that well, haven't been suicidal often don't understand that spot. It's, it's hard for us to get, I think, you know, but, but th this, this feeling of wanting to live and not wanting to live at the same time, they're holding those two feelings at the same time. So, um, so when people are, don't understand that they're they often will almost ridicule the um the suicidal patient saying see they want to live they're one they're you know but yes they want to live but they also don't want to live and you gotta we need to help that part of them that's the 95 percent of them wants to live we, we need to help that part of them to succeed and <laughs> be the part that wins yeah so I got a question for you, yeah. and you weren't prepared for this. I want to put you on the uh -oh. spot, but <laughs> but since you're an expert in this subject, um, so I I recently heard about a a senior that would have been graduating, and the school did not want to recognize him at all because of they didn't want to make suicide they didn't want to glorify suicide. Mm -hmm. So. I mean, by recognizing suicide, are we glorifying it? Or are we making people aware? Do you have any comments mm -hmm. on that? Sure, sure. Yeah, absolutely. 
um, you know, there's there's a way to to talk about suicide. There's like suicide safe uh, reporting. There's like guidelines, reporting guidelines, and um, our I know in in our school district in Ben Lapine School District, they have those that suicide safe um, messaging that they send out to parents, and there are ways to um, to honor without glorifying. You know, and um, but uh, and, but I will say I understand where the school's coming from in a way because they that because children are especially uh, susceptible to the contagion that can happen with suicide. Um, that the very irresponsible um, uh, production called uh, I don't know what it was called. Uh, it was on Netflix series about a teenager that commits suicide or dies by suicide. Sorry. Um, thinking of 13 Stan? reasons why, or something like that. What, what is it? Stan? 13 reasons why. Yeah. Yeah. That's what Steph says. Was that, that it? Says, yeah. She oh says my gosh. Seen it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's like contagion city. So they really didn't do a good job on that one. And, um, and it's, it's just, it's, it's not very, I will say it's irresponsible for Hollywood to be making movies and shows without consulting the experts. And um, so they, they, they did some harm with that one. Wow. They're, they're going to say they did good, but mm -mm. so So, uh, go ahead. No, I was just, I, your, your original question was kind of like how to talk about it and how to, you know, you know, it's, it's a, what the, what the, um, the thing to not do is to kind of, um, glorify it. I mean, there's a way of talking about suicide without <clears throat> make, exaggerating it. Yeah, absolutely. Every every death of a child is tragic. Absolutely. So I want to go back to one other thing, a lot for me and, and hopefully for our listeners and viewers, because I want to know how to phrase the, about eight minutes into our podcast, you ask you uh, ask gave the a patient. phrase how we ask the patient. Will you repeat that one more time? Okay. Now this is just how I ask. Okay. Yeah. So it's, right. But, know, it, but right? it gives us a good idea. Yeah. yeah. And, okay. Yeah. And it's just kind of a, so um, the typical scenario is someone's very depressed and, and is in a, a deep depression or has experienced a crisis in their life. So typically what I'll say is, is something like, you know, Oftentimes, you know, when when patients are in a situation like yours, when they're very, very depressed or they've had a crisis like you've had, they have thoughts of suicide or or thoughts of hurting themselves. It's very common. Have you had any thoughts like that? Very powerful. Thank you so much. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Another thing that I've really taken away from this, and I think we have to change our wording as healthcare professionals or as society in general. Um, I think we did this. This is kind of a, a, a side note, but an analogy. Um, if you remember, Dr. Pinavara, you know, we used to say when somebody had cancer and they, you know, they survived cancer, we used to call them, you know, cancer victims. You remember that? Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. Uh-huh. And then we changed the term to cancer survivor. Yeah. Um, Because it just sounds a lot better, right? Mm -hmm, Sure. Um, Well, I didn't know the history of the suicide and committed suicide means Mm -hmm. that they were committing a crime. And now that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Mm -hmm. So really what we want to say instead of committed suicide is 
die by die, suicide. Die by, die by suicide, suicide is, right. is really a better or term completed suicide, right? Okay, but not mm-hmm. committed because that means mm-hmm. um, that a crime was involved. right. Yeah. You know, it, it right. just yeah. This is a suffering human we're talking about, not a criminal. Right, exactly. Right, right. So as we thank you so much for all this information. This is sure. very, very powerful. Um, as we wrap this up, um, I would like to ask you, what do you have a passion for? Oh, shoot. <laughs> so much. <laughs> Putting you on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you, I definitely did not miss my calling. I have a passion for serving my patients. I absolutely love being a family doctor. I love serving families and because I really feel like you can understand people so much better in the context of their family. And um, and I, I'm a direct primary care doctor, which is just the best, of course. <laughs> um, yep. You know, this is what we thought we were signing up for when we signed yep. up for medicine, right? And yeah, so I'm passionate about serving my patients. And well, and I can tell you when I met you out of the blue just a few months ago, um, I could tell that that was rather obvious that you had a passion for taking care of your patients and you were very, very happy to be doing what you're doing. And I love that. We need more doctors like you doing that. Thank you, Sean. Yeah, well, Sweet thank you. Say. Yeah. So if anybody has any questions or they want to find out more about you and your practice, um, how do they do that? Well, um, you can um, you can check out my website at homesteadfamilymedicine.org or you can email me at lkpenavaria at homesteadfamilymedicine.org. There it is. Yeah, there's the an email us that that. Yeah, there you go. There you go. That's probably awesome. an easy way. Thank you. Thank you so much, Steph, for, for putting that up there. And Dr. Pinavaria, um, this has been a great show. I really appreciate you giving us all this information to our listeners and viewers. And um, I think there's another subject that you would have a passion for that you would like to talk on. So I'll have to schedule you for that. I don't remember what the subject Sounds was. Good. All right, was very this, good. What was the subject? Oh, you remember? Um, suboxone prescribing. In oh, yeah, that's right. Yes. That's right. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we will definitely talk about that. We've never done that in our podcast. So we'll okay. have you on again to talk about that. You've been a yeah, wonderful be guest. Pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much today and um, uh, stay tuned Thank for the you. edited version with all the, with all the links. Awesome. Thank you so much for awesome. having me, Sean. You're welcome. You're welcome. So thanks for tuning in listeners and viewers to health solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Um, you will see us. Uh, don't be surprised, but we, or you will be surprised, but Friday we will have a surprise for you. So stay tuned for Friday morning because uh, we will be traveling somewhere special and you guys will get to see the tour. So stay tuned for that with Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. And Monday, as always, we will be streaming live on the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy Facebook page, uh, 1230 to 1.30 Pacific Standard Time. So tune into that and thank you for listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thank you. Thank you.